from CPERC 2023 in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This is Pharmacy in Focus, and I'm Pharmacy Podcast miniseries. I'm Nina Tadros. My earliest memory of a pharmacy was as a four to five-year-old boy in Egypt. My aunt and uncle owned a pharmacy in a lower middle class neighborhood in Alexandria, Egypt. I want to set the scene for you a little bit. Alexandria is a city that's rich with history, run down, and packed with people. On this very dusty street, a busy corner, stood a unit no wider than maybe three or four doors wide. When you walk in, the first thing you see is a glass counter and someone sitting right behind it. And right behind them, maybe because I was a little smaller, is a wall 10 times my height of medications. The thing is, like they say with all good memories, I can't shake the smell. It's sort of this weird smell of isopropyl alcohol wipes, medications, and sort of tinctures. And And if anyone's ever walked into a pharmacy in another country, there's kind of this like, this wafting smell that comes through. My aunt and uncle were the center of that neighborhood. They were pharmacists and a doctor duo. And when I spent hours, looking back, it was probably my wave, uh, my parents getting some babysitting. I was shocked by how many people would come in and ask for their health problems, and then they would get their medications. The pharmacy was the center for their healthcare because they wanted to go there and find out, should they go see a doctor, which is a very expensive endeavor, or can it easily be treated by something that they can get? I didn't realize how unique or different this was. Years later, as a young pharmacist working in Scarborough, Ontario, a very immigrant-heavy neighborhood in Toronto, also some of the best food in the world, I learned Egypt wasn't alone. Many new immigrants would come into the pharmacy with expectations. They would ask me to prescribe something. They'd say, like, just give it to me. This is what I normally do. But on the opposite end, others would come in and be shocked when I tried to counsel them, talk to them about medications, or reach out to their doctor. Pharmacy wasn't the same everywhere, and it definitely wasn't the same across Canada. So what is a pharmacist, and what is define it around many places? So to start any good journey that we do today, I asked ChatGPT. What is a pharmacist? ChatGPT and our AI overlords told me, a pharmacist is a healthcare professional who plays a crucial role in the safe and effective use of medications. They work in pharmacies, hospitals, and other healthcare settings. And then a bunch of other stuff. It gave a really long definition. I said, can you make that, make that a bit shorter for me? It said, a pharmacist is a healthcare professional who helps patients understand the safely use their medications. And then I asked it to give, come up with a punchline. And it said, a pharmacist, your medication superhero, ensuring your health and safety one prescription at a time. I like it. I like it. I like it. I pictured myself as, like, you know, in a cape. When I was in pharmacy school, we were pushed to think about the future. What could it be? And as I was trained in the US, I got used to certain levels of practice scope. And I was shocked when I returned home to Ontario to find a province that couldn't even vaccinate. This was 2010. The last decade has seen Ontario finally catch up. And yes, in a room filled with Canadian pharmacists, I'll admit it, we were a little behind. And we were behind most of Canada and globally. But it's been exciting. Vaccination, cognitive services, and now minor ailments. Pharmacy is changing fast. The services in the community aren't the only thing changing. 
We see the workforce changing, the proportion of people going into community, many opportunities in atypical locations, the emergence of subspecialties like specialty pharmacy and telepharmacy, more pressure in hospitals, public health pharmacists, and even nerdy academics. Pharmacists were finding a variety of places where they could fit in with their various different skills. But I like to say, and kind of a theme in this mini-series, is that we're having a moment. But that implies that it suddenly happened. Let me be clear, this was decades in the making. This didn't happen overnight. But as we enter this moment, with massive momentum, we as educators face a challenge. Maybe an opportunity. Or as the title of this episode, a blank slate. A chance to help build the pharmacists for the future. So that's what I want to explore today. What is the pharmacist of the future? How do we train those pharmacists of the future? So to help guide me through this big question, we have invited some thought leaders in pharmacy education from across Canada. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to have each of you introduce yourselves and your titles. And we'll start to my right. Hi, I'm Lalita raman Wolmsdien at the College of Pharmacy here at the University of Manitoba. Hi, Natalie kenny Callback. I'm an assistant professor at uh, Dalhousie University in the Practice Experience Program. Hello, I'm Taylor Raish. I'm an experiential learning assessment and program development specialist at the University of Saskatchewan. I'm Sandra Jarvis-Sellinger. I'm the Associate Dean Academic in the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. And my background is as an educational and developmental psychologist. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for joining me and uh, for being a part of this live recording panel. So let's just start off kind of pie in the sky. In your opinion, what does a future pharmacist look and work like? We're going to start high here and then we're going to zoom in a little bit more. Letha, you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I'll get it started, um, Mina. Certainly when we think of future pharmacists, um, I'm thinking of pharmacists will be called upon to address complex drug issues in complex patients and really diverse patients, Um, ideally working with an integrated collaborative teams. Um, And a couple of thoughts to share there because our population is aging and and that is going to continue to happen. Um, They have many more chronic conditions. When you look at the elderly, um, one in four Canadian seniors uh, was prescribed 10 or more drug classes, and that was back in 2021. And so we know that with more chronic conditions, there are going to be more medications. The other thing we also need to keep in mind is in Canada, our immigration will continue to increase. And what that means is we are going to see more a diverse um, public, really. And within Manitoba provinces like Manitoba and Saskatchewan, um, in Manitoba, for example, about 20 percent of our population will be Indigenous within the next decade. And so we're really we're going to be seeing um, a lot more diverse um, individuals, um, also with more um, digital technology and whatnot. The easier problems will be more easily resolved. It's really the complex issues and the complex problems where pharmacists will really, really be called upon uh, to provide care for. And I do want to add with all of these, when I speak of diversity, uh, we really need to keep in mind um, safe spaces for patients. You know, how do we create uh, ensuring everybody has access to care? And how do you ensure that there are uh, safe, inclusive places um, for, for their patients as well? So I'll share with, start with that. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. So my perspective has been in primary care. So that's my slant. I'll have to say that ahead of time. Um, I still think that uh, we've been on this path for a very long time. Pharmacists as medication experts identifying and meeting the needs of health needs uh, for all of our patients across different practice settings. 
If I look at the future, um, I think it depends on what our daily work is in practice. And um, my particular experience has been in Nova Scotia and Nova Scotia um, has, has been really um, progressive in relation to the role of uh, pharmacists in primary health care system. Uh, unfortunately, the reality is in Nova Scotia, 13% of, of patients don't have a family doctor. And so um, our, we've, with lots of advocacy um, and funding, uh, we're, we've been moving to new uh, innovative models in uh, primary care for pharmacists, um, those of community uh, pharmacy primary care clinics that um, see patients on an appointment basis to do prescribing, point of care testing, um, chronic disease management and injections, as well as uh, pharmacist walk-in clinics that in involve nurse practitioners and pharmacists in collaboration to meet the needs of community. And so what you're seeing is a, a very much a change in the daily life of what a pharmacist does. And I think as educators, we need to examine that and determine how we need to balance uh, or make adjustments in our curriculum to support that type of, of of different practice. Thanks, Mina and Natalie and Lalitha. I'll just build on, I think, what's already been said here. I've been known to say that in the year 2023, there are no more simple problems. <laughs> Biopsychosocially, things are complex for most people. And so those simple problems where we teach students to treat hypertension per the guidelines best available drug you can think of for that person without seeing who they are as an entire human being outside of who they are as a patient, are we providing the very best care for them? And so when we think about how pharmacists are positioned in these integrated and complex systems that are sometimes very fragmented rather than integrated, we need to think about positioning pharmacy students of the future to really be at the, the, the table in those conversations. And so in the first episode of this podcast, Mina, I think pharmacists were described as troubleshooters and problem solvers. And yes, very much we are foundationally. To what extent? So to what extent are we troubleshooting and problem solving? And is that collaboratively with teams around us? Or is that reactively when the teams around us don't know what to do or aren't available for patients? So pharmacists at the table being involved within those teams and really being able to see the person for who they are outside of their identity as a patient and treating that in collaboration with the rest of the team. So as we asked this question, you guys tackled the challenges that seem to be facing both the healthcare system and, and the profession itself in the sense of like, what, what bar do we have to be meeting to kind of push that forward? So when we think about that pharmacist of the future, are we, are we training and educating current students to be ready for this future to meet these challenges? Or is there kind of a gap that's missing here that we, we need to be filling? So I'll share a bit about that. Um, I think we're doing a lot of good things now, uh, but I'm going to actually step away a bit and talk about what they need to be prepared for. Um, some of the things we need to keep in mind is as we train pharmacists, we are, they are entering the changing healthcare system. And I think with the healthcare crisis we have now, that's going to continue to happen. And so we really need our graduates to be um, able to be adaptable, be able to work with the changing healthcare system, and the other part is, as healthcare providers in general, need to be able to work with some uncertainty. And I don't think we quite prepare them for that sort of approach. Um, I will share some examples that I think we're embarking on those sort of um, initiatives. Um, for example, in Manitoba, 
we have a large urban population in Winnipeg, but there's a lot of rural remote areas. And one of the things we've done is really ensuring that our students are also trained in the rural and remote areas. And what happens is what the pharmacist does there is quite different from the urban centers. Um, I've heard students, for example, a student Churchill who said it was so diverse, the tasks to take on, especially in some of the more remote areas, um, they're not only uh, providing uh, medication information and, and take care of the medications, but they're really the first point of contact may only be the only health professional accessible. And so being able to triage the issues, being able to be an advocate for the patient, so they really have to be um, thinking on their feet and determining what else they need to do. So putting them in situations like that. And I think um, with COVID as well, with COVID-19, um, in many ways, um, our students have really um, been put into situations uh, that they wouldn't have expected and we wouldn't have expected. Uh, we had our interns providing care um, throughout the pandemic. In the height of the pandemic, they were really uh, working to see how best to support patients. Um, it, it, figuring out what they should do. You know, I know right across the country, pharmacy students are providing immunizations and, and other support services, but really allow them to think, you know, how can I best provide care here in this situation? Because it's not predictable. Um, so I think we need to think of that. The other thing I would uh, finish up with in that area is really thinking about leadership skills. Uh, leadership is part of the competencies, but really when we talk about working in team or in primary care, working in any team, you will have conflict. That's natural. And so how do you train them to manage conflict? How do you train them to really lead intercultural and diverse groups? So I think these are some of the things we need to keep in mind as well that really goes in a way beyond the curriculum directly, but types of opportunities that will help them really deal with uncertainty and change. With uncertainty comes uncertainty of what they're going to be doing, right? Like, what does that mean in the sense of like, first of all, the types of roles, we're seeing more diverse types of pharmacist roles, right? Like there's a, you know, we don't have the same chunk of people going into the traditional community. And then those communities that they're going into are looking more and more different across Canada. We, can we teach that all like to prepare them for that uncertainty or, or how do we, you know, how do we, how do we give them the skills to be able to deal with that uncertainty as they walk out the doors of the, of the buildings of the schools? So there's that scenario that we we try to prepare the students for what the ideal looks like, the pie in the sky of pharmacy, if you will, this collaborative practice that we're talking about. And that could become reality for many of those students. I myself had the most amazing opportunity to dive right into ambulatory care, team-based primary care as soon as I graduated my program. And that those were my clinical years of, of my early practice. Yet there will be some students who are told to expect that and that's not what the reality ends up being. So I think one of the gaps in education right now is helping students proactively see that dissonance coming, whichever side of the spectrum it might be, that they're not adequately prepared enough to be able to face the uncertainty of the changing healthcare system and being called to the table to act so proactively and collaboratively or the other side of the spectrum where they feel that they were prepared for that. And that's not the opportunity that's laid out in front of them. And so having some of these facilitated discussions with students as they're working through experiential learning to talk about what they're actually seeing and doing and thinking and feeling when they're out in practice and how that's comparing to what their expectations are, walking students, walking with students through those dissonant experiences is, is really crucial to help them better be prepared to deal with the uncertainty, whatever it might look like in their circumstance upon graduation and those early career years. 
think it's it's very interesting. Um, one of the first things that I thought about was I'd spent 12 years in the Faculty of Medicine leading the curriculum redesign for the undergraduate medical program. There was a lot of conversation about the art versus the science and understanding that really one of the areas where there was a lot more certainty was in the science. So what was changing? What needed to be taught? How did we think about those skills in practice? And I think we do the same thing in pharmacy is to um, sort of uh, comfort ourselves with the scientific side of things because we can digest the evidence. We can choose what we want to bring into the program. The harder question in any academic professional program is the art of that, and especially in the health professions. And so I think a lot of conversation is spent on understanding that uncertainty, which is we don't know the future in which our graduates are going to go into. And we need to give them the ability to shift to immerse, to change, to do all of those things. So when we have a first year student that comes into our program, we're trying to really understand what practice is going to look like five years from that point. Um, And that's really challenging. And that's where I think we get into understanding and unpacking the art of the profession. Yeah, and I'll add, I think, honestly, we've been preparing students and the educational outcomes have, have pushed us to develop care providers for a very long time. And so when the rubber hit, hits the road in experiential, uh, some, a lot of students report dissonance, like you, you mentioned. And so they're not seeing what we're preparing them for. And so I'm sure every faculty member has heard this this story from students. So I think we really, you know, the preceptors and, and pharmacists in the community play a really, really important role in role modeling and, and dis- discussing how they, ad- how they address uncertainty and pointing it out. And so for those students in those experiential rotations, we need to really find those exemplar sites that are doing this, the, this, the things that we want them to do on a daily basis, whether it's prescribing and assessment. Um, we need to make sure that they're having those conversations about um, how to make a diagnosis because that's becoming increasingly more important, how to do physical assessment and how to deal with the uncertainty if there's not a clinical guideline that can direct us in that patient. And so I really think mobilizing um, our, our experiential and preceptors as being those models in the community and dealing with that is really, really crucial. Can I, can I push you guys on something that both of you have touched on this, this sort of dissonance between and we get accused of this. So maybe we can ask, like, how many people here have, have heard complaints from their students coming back or from the public that we're training them for things that don't exist? Maybe with a show of hands. Right. So about two thirds of the room. And this is, a you know, that people say that we sit in our ivory towers and we, we don't think about that. But the counter argument is that if we didn't train them and then the ministry showed up and asked us to do more advanced practice and we said, oh, we're not trained up for that then we wouldn't have gotten those opportunities. And so like academia feels like it's sort of setting up what can be potentially now took a lot of patience. I think a lot of people are patient, but does that dissonance set up? um, Is it infuse itself into the pharmacy identity in a way when you hear things like that, you know, we're overeducated, underutilized, or are we like, or are we setting up the future? Maybe you guys can 
dive into yeah, that a little bit. If I can share something there too, Mina, we also need to keep in mind that one way also is to prepare them through the curriculum. Um, we talked about the experiential and the dissonance in there, but part of it too is um, knowing what they can be capable of, they also need to know how can they then make those changes. You know, can they be disruptors in the system? Can they make things happen uh, to move it that way? Yeah. There are barriers, certainly, that's beyond their control, yeah. but there are also many things that they can do. One of the things when you look at our curriculum itself that I think about is um, I'm pretty sure we all have very jam-packed curriculum. You know, it's lockstep. You have to take this before you go to the next step. And so when they come into the program, I don't think um, we really allow them to engage more critical thinking around what do I want to do? What do I want to take? I really do believe we need to have some electives in there. We need to create pathways within there. So then they are thinking, OK, in pharmacy, what do I want to do? You know, mm -hmm. what do I want to think? And so they start to think early on in terms of um, their goal and who are they as a pharmacist. And certainly each student brings their own perspectives, uh, their own background um, into developing what that role will look for them and what they will do. Um, and that may be part of the thing that will help prepare them as well to say, you know, I do. This is important for me to um, provide care this way. And I know I can make a difference out there. So what can I do going out there? So I think we also need to look at the curriculum as a whole uh, in terms of what we can do um, in helping shape that. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think honestly, I think dissonance is a normal part of what students have to go through to build their identity. Um, in order to build your identity, you have to confront what you, what you think you know or what you think you've seen. And so um, we know that when pharmacy students come into our programs in pharmacy, they really don't have a great idea what a pharmacist does. They may say they're really knowledgeable about drugs, um, but that really, like, and a lot of times that could be the extent of it. So we have a lot of uh, building and forming at, at that moment. And so... They, they have to confront some of those ideas or even stereotypes they may hear from the public or other healthcare providers. Uh, so that's, I still, I think that's dissonance and that's a natural process. Um, and I think we need to be able to guide students through that in order to, to build that strong identity a little bit too. And I think that, you know, we've been talking about experiential learning and that's kind of, you know, the space that Natalie and I both occupy. And so I'll just be very candid in saying my point of view on this panel really is that of a fairly recent graduate. My practice experience and experience in academia and education is far smaller than most people in this room. Um, but one of the things that I'll just share from a, a student perspective is that as an undergraduate student, taking prerequisites to get into a professional program, your student experience is very different in those years than it is in the professional program. And so there's even a dissonance just crossing over that first entry point into the PharmD program, where no longer are you just doing exams and assignments on paper for the purpose of achieving a grade, fulfilling a requirement of a degree or a prerequisite requirement. In the professional program, what I've seen with our students is that that shift comes more naturally to some, and it takes a lot of coaching and mentoring for others. We're seeing themselves as emerging, growing, becoming professionals isn't something that is so well apparent until later in their appy years, sometimes not even to the point of graduation when they become pharmacists practicing themselves. So helping students go through those experiences and start to examine their identity personally as they're young adults in their early 20s much of the time and professionally as they become emerging professionals, something that I think we, we really need to focus on. These are people at a critical point in their life that need that 
extra love and care. I think, honestly, this cohort of youth is a unique cohort. It's very interesting when we think about, you know, the um, health science programs and professional programs at university um, really know that the goal is to train individuals to be right, to be physicians, to be nurses, to be dentists, to be pharmacists, to be teachers, um, which is very different than, than, you know, if you think about something like undergraduate science, they're training students to be undifferentiated science students that give them the opportunity to think about what they want to do later. Um, and so there, there's a, an interesting dynamic tension in that. Um, and I'm, we've t- the panel touched on that a little bit and, and, and my research does as well, which is the being and becoming and the two things happening all the time. And so when you think about um, pharmacy education, everything that we do in the classroom, in the skills lab, in the simulation centers, in the discussions, in the cases are teaching students and reinforcing students to be good pharmacy students. And, and Taylor, I think, talked a little bit about that transition from, say, an undergrad science program to coming into a professional program. There's really that crisis moment of some of the things that I used because I was a very good student to that point and I was able to, to get into the program. And so those skill sets um, didn't then translate perfectly because now it wasn't just about learn it, test it, leave it. It was now trying to integrate it, apply it, understand it, um, and not leave it. And so as students are navigating through our system and our programs, they're learning how to be really good pharmacy students. We're expecting them to become good pharmacists. And so it's that idea that there's always going to be this dissonance. And and I think the panel picked up on that all the way along. And we will try to close that gap as much as possible, but we cannot eliminate it. Just like, you know, when you went out into practice as a first or a second or third year in, in, you know, sort of in your clinical practice, you know, it was like the comment is the gloves are off. There's nobody now around me, you know, to make sure that they're checking my work. They're expecting me to be the person. They're expecting me to be the independent pharmacist that I was trained to be. And you probably don't even feel like that for a few years. So there's these developmental moments or crisis moments that go on where you start to shift fundamentally who you are. And that's part of the journey that that academia can get you into. But it isn't the end of it because we also need you to be a really good pharmacy student as you're becoming a good pharmacist. Can I, obviously we'd be very remiss not to have a conversation about like diversity and inclusion. Um, As I've kind of been thinking about it, there's obviously the the point of the, the diversity of the patients that, our future pharmacists will be caring for and how do we train them for that on the other end? Like, and this is kind of a personal note, like in Ontario, a lot of uh, Egyptians like pharmacy. I don't know if you guys, you know, there's many of us. Um, and when I first got the role, I was kind of taken aback by the notes that I received from students, like saying that they didn't see themselves in the faculty sometimes. And I'd never thought about it. You know, obviously I struggled with that a little bit, but it just, kind of like took me, took me back a little bit. And so how do we, I guess it's a loaded question in the sense, like how do we train our students 
to be ready for the diversity of populations they're going to see. But at the same time, how do we as faculty members ensure that we're developing a diverse faculty? Like it's a, it's a big charge and there's a lot of buzzwords rolling around, but how are you guys thinking about this and leading to some changes in your different faculties? I can certainly start if you like. And, um, I mean, certainly when we think about universities as a whole, right. Um, there's often, um, we, we hear things like uh, cluster hires or target hiring and so on. It's not the diversity. It's more, I would say, um, the, um, uh, the really the equity, the inclusion, that's also really key and important. Just bringing different people is not enough. It's, it's what does a culture look like? How do we create that environment where people feel included and they're able to actually participate um, equally and participate um, and be able to access uh, what they need to do and have the same opportunities? I think that's really key and important. Um, we, and it does take time. It does take time to do that. Um, one of the things uh, we've done is certainly ensuring that Everybody in the community and the faculty and staff are taking some sort of cultural safety courses important. Increasing awareness and faculty development becomes a really key part of this. Um, we also need to, um, in our pharmacy programs, about a third of a program is offered outside. So we can do all we want inside, but how do those sites look like? How are preceptors trained? So we need to also keep that in mind uh, in terms of preceptor training. And in terms of students, I think we really need to expose them to diverse communities, whatever that looks like, to different cultures. Um, we, you know, it, it doesn't mean they have to go overseas, but there are many opportunities to create where they actually are exposed to diverse communities and provide care there. And a lot of them may not be comfortable right away if it's very different from their own culture. But I think that's really key is really important. And to do that very early on, yeah. um, I think it's important. So looking at the faculty as a whole um, and staff, looking at the culture within the within the institution, looking at um, the training and, and also our curriculum, you know, indigenizing our curriculum, making sure. Uh, when we talk about equity, diversity, inclusion, what does that look like within our curriculum? Um, and so it really is many different aspects we need to really yeah. consider. Any any thoughts about how to do that? Like, you know, when it steps outside the building, like both of you come from the experiential angle. So how how are you? Does it, Is it in your control, out of your control? Like any thoughts there? I think it's a really important point, Lalitha. And thanks so much for bringing that up. I was going to say you know, diversity within the faculty. Absolutely, Mina. When students can see within the four walls of their building, someone they can relate to, incredibly influential for them. Staff important as well. I'm non-faculty, I'm staff myself. I'm a queer person. And so I think a lot of students come to me because that is something they can relate to. And I am very public about that as well. Um, but, but we're missing an important piece. And as Lolita brought up is the preceptors, the guest lecturers, the people who have not formalized positions within our faculty, but are very much in a teaching, education, leadership role, mentorship role, coaching role facilitator role with our students. And so in experiential learning, to answer your question, we just created a preceptor pulse survey for the first time this year, where we are surveying all of our preceptors to self-identify regarding many of these intersecting identities. And if they voluntarily do, we're using that information to be able to look at the diversity across our sites, see if there's opportunities to build new connections. And then ideally, it's not happening yet. But in the future, again, more of that kind of pairing mentorship, we've got shoulders to tap when we know that we have students who could benefit from those relations. So looking at the diversity amongst preceptors and really trying to hone in on who's in your communities, again, in a place like Saskatchewan, we can do that. <laughs> it's pretty easy to know who's kind of in 
in and around the province. I, I get that that's much more difficult in bigger centers, but certainly something that is doable. If you have a preceptor base, especially that comes back year after year, you can get to know who those people are and the sorts of perspectives and point of views and identities that they carry. So you can expose students to that quite widely. Yeah, I agree 100% with both of you. And I, I would just add that, um, you know, within your own communities and trying to recruit students that represent those communities and, and bring that diversity in from, from the bottom up, I think is really, really important and key too. So I think when we talk about things like equity, diversity, uh, inclusivity, um, I think the other possible piece of this, and I know um, the panel talked a lot about, you know, trying to create diverse student bodies. So I think that's really an important um, opportunity. But we also need to break the silence. So what we also need to do is be okay with being able to ask challenging questions um, and, and do it in a very respectful way. So if I use myself as an example, uh, I, am, I am not a person of color. I am not an underrepresented, came from an underrepresented community or culture. Um, I'm, I've navigated through a system as a, as a woman that, and so that's part of my experiences. But in order to understand diversity in my program, I have to be able to talk to people honestly and understand their experiences. I don't have to usurp them. I don't have to try to be who they are. I don't have to try to be something that I'm not. But sometimes it's challenging because I don't, if you don't have an opportunity to just sit down and say, I need to kind of understand it from your perspective. And I need to ask potentially uh, challenging or sensitive questions. And we need to be okay with having that conversation. I worked a lot in, in First Nations communities when I lived in Northern Ontario. I, I, I worked a lot in university community partnerships with First Nations communities in BC. And part of the building of that relationship is to be able to say, I don't know your culture. I don't know your experiences. But if I can come to understand them, maybe we can figure out together how we can support and help each other. So this idea of like, as with this blank slate, as, uh, as faculties think about change and the pressure we can put on the change in the profession, do you, when you think about change, I just, this is sort of like a higher kind of level question. Do you think that it is our role as academics to be pushing the profession forward as in like putting pressure on it, both in an advocacy way and trying to push change and kind of like being the force behind it to cause change in practice? Or is it more of a pull mechanism where we establish the sort of gold standard? We, we dream about things and we try to push the envelope in a way. I use the word push to talk about pull, but, you know, to, to pull people forward sort of in a way that we talked about in Ontario, I can talk about this. Like we had people talking about minor elements forever. Um, and I'm sure the students, you know, kind of when the time was ready, we were all trained up and ready to go. So we kind of pulled it forward. So when you think about that, is it more of the advocacy and forcing change and trying to push the profession forward or is it more establishing those gold standards and trying to pull people with us? I think change is happening. Pharmacists know boots on the ground, things are changing, things need to change. And so that's happening very organically within the walls of our buildings. Absolutely. We can influence that. There are many more stakeholders at the table that we're even not talking about, but pharmacists recognize the need for change and they're doing that very organically. So 
I don't know that I can comment curricularly in the big design piece of it, Mina. There are more suited people at the table to answer that. But I'll just give an example of what that does look like in our experiential learning program. In our third year, third year pharmacy students get together in small groups and they're matched to a pharmacist preceptor, direct patient care, non-direct patient care, anywhere across the country. They do a virtual rotation where a pharmacist identifies a need or a problem or a gap in their practice. And the students are then tasked with creating a deliverable, tangible professional practice project that meets that need. And so they are being the disruptors in the system. They are being the change makers to say, well, in Saskatchewan, we don't have a great resource for um, gender diversity and how pharmacists interact with people of gender diverse identities. Let's create a resource for that. Let's share it widely. The students did that under the leadership of their preceptor, or I would say even just supervision of their preceptor. They really led it themselves. And now they've taken that thing and ran with it. They've gone to all sorts of advocacy bodies and said, look at our resource. Do you want to share it? So the the students are recognizing the need for things like EDIA. Yes, prompted and given the opportunity by practicing pharmacists, but they're doing these things. It's just, I think, a matter of enabling those opportunities. But with respect to the big curriculum design piece and uh, the overarching, I'll defer to my colleagues here. I think there's a bit of push and pull, actually. Uh, I think we've been pushing... uh, pharmacy students to provide care for many, many, many years and and with opportunities and changes in primary care that we're seeing, particularly in Nova Scotia, um, they are happening with academia because there's been evaluation and evidence to help fuel some of the changes. But but with that also comes just plain opportunity with the needs to meet uh, patients in primary care practice and improve accessibility. And so um, I think that with with those funding model changes and the need to ad- address the healthcare system, there's this, the, the practice is now pulling us a little bit in, in academia, and and we maybe need to start thinking about what are some things that we need to push to help drive that forward, so that if we are providing primary care to patients, we're we're doing it to the top of our scope and most effectively, so that. Uh, it continues to evolve and develop. And so right now, I think there's a a, a big push-pull. And if I can add to that, I completely agree with that as well. Um, I think it is a push and pull. And and depending on the time and what's happening, there may be one more of one than the other. When we think of academia, um, academia really is generating knowledge, um, generating new ways of doing things. And so there's automatically pushed to the community, to the profession in terms of new knowledge that's generated in terms of knowledge mobilization. So that's automatically there. Having said that, um, practice will also have to pull. And and sometimes it's challenging in practice because there are barriers. And that may be legislation. There may be other things why they can't do some certain things, right? And so I think it is a balance between push and pull and both will be in place. Um, and I think in academia, we have the, um, we can, for example, create demonstration projects to, to show to the community, to the government in terms of why something's effective. I'm thinking back many years back in Ontario, when we think of impact in some of the primary care projects that came up, yeah. you know, showing the value of the pharmacist and how important it is in terms of team-based care. Um, and Natalie, you brought up about uh, the number of Canadians. I think it's like one in five Canadians don't have access to a family physician or a nurse practitioner. And so we think of that. Um, we have shown that pharmacists can actually have value here. And so using that sort of data from academia to push information forward is important. But at the same time, um, there's also pull in terms of when, when the profession is ready, how we support them in moving that forward. 
also with a push versus the pull. I thought about it in another way, which is the reactive and the proactive. And so, and I mean reactive in the very, in, in the most positive sense of the word, uh, curriculum and, and, and professional health science programs need to be able to react to what's happening in the environment. And so the, the idea of, of academia is really to be able to react to those and, and come to understand how they have, um, how they can play a part in that. And so we know with the idea of the shifting landscape in pharmacy education, we're then helping our students be prepared for the opportunity to step into those gaps um, as they present themselves. And I think that's a really positive way to be able to react to those forces. But the other piece is how are we then proactive? And I think the panel and you talked a little bit about this idea of advocacy or agency. Um, and I think that, again, is a, is a much more difficult uh, thing to do because it goes back to my earlier point where it's part of it is divining the future in our in our best efforts. But I think when we talk about being proactive, it is designing the future. And how do we play a hand in, I think Lalitha said the idea of changing and, and Taylor commented on it as well, changing students in a way to be disruptors in the system. And that's the long game. Because if you think about it, it's, I think about the analogy of a bucket of water. If you start dripping food coloring into the bucket of water, the first couple drips seem to disappear. But if you get thousands of drips into the bucket of water, you're going to change the color of water. Well, if we think about the fact that as we export our students out of our programs into that system, there's going to be an invisibility for a long period of time before you're going to start to see change. And that's going to happen in terms of how many individuals are now interacting in that system that are different, but it's also going to need time for those individuals to get into leadership positions and decision-making and power positions to be able to start to change the narrative. So we are at the final marks. So I want to just give each of you a kind of final thoughts uh, of, you know, are there things that I should have asked or you wanted to touch on today? This is a good chance to kind of jump in there and say these things. Um, but final thoughts on just in general, like where, where's that, where are things going and what is the future of pharmacy education look like from your perspective or what's kind of taking up brain space for you? You want to start? I know you asked us to kind of think about this yesterday, Mina, yeah. and then I forgot. So. It's a big question. <laughs> yeah. It's a big question. Yeah, a big question. <laughs> I think I would, can it, to say that the students of today and pharmacists of tomorrow have a lot of potential. We need to create opportunity for them to be those disruptors in the system and the change makers, facilitating those opportunities in our curriculum, both within the building and externally in experiential learning and working with those stakeholders, the pharmacists, the advocacy bodies, um, and creating that culture of precepting because we are really one united front as pharmacists, educators and academics, students um, towards this vision of the future. So I, I do think there's a lot of potential with this cohort of youth that's coming through the programs. And it's something that we need to pay attention to. They've got a lot of strengths yeah, that awesome. I think we need to be reflexive of. In I love that programs. framing. 
And I mentioned it before, I, I think there just needs to be a, a little bit more intentional um, effort put into uh, building the student's professional identity and, and helping them navigate and, and that, that one-on-one uh, mentorship model um, in order for them to be able to get out on the other side, having a clear idea of who they are and where they're going and so that they can be those disruptors. And so be, being a little bit more intentional from that aspect. And for me, I'm thinking um, what's in my mind, you asked, uh, Mina, you know, our healthcare system is really struggling right now. And there are definitely gaps right now, significant gaps, especially in the primary care area. I really see this as a tremendous opportunity for pharmacists right now to fill this gap uh, within healthcare um, and to make an even greater difference to patients. And in the same regard, I see getting our students out there. Um, and really looking at a curriculum, there's been lots of great thoughts come through today, but really moving ahead, um, there is a real need out there for pharmacists and there is a gap out there and we really need to meet that. Well, I guess I will end with just uh, one final thought, which I think is um, also to think about um, think about us, right? Academics and preceptors and, and others that contributed faculty and staff into the, um, into the educational system. We will get older and more experienced and our students won't. A first year student will always be a first year student. A third year student will always be a third year student. So uh, one of the things which is really interesting in that is that we begin to be expert and unconscious and able to consolidate who we are, what we know, what we do, how we act. And I think what we have to continue to think of, and I think this is one of the joys of being in an academic institution, is to keep those things new, right? To continue to unpack. It was much easier for me to know what it was like to be a first-year student when I was one or two years out of my educational training. It's much harder to do that when I'm 30 years out of that. And so that's the piece, is really trying to understand how to keep those things conscious, have those conversations with students. And part of the challenge is also understanding that we may think it's good for them. For example, understanding how they reflect on their own professional identity formation journey or being a disruptor, but they may not be ready to unpack those things quite yet. Well, thank you, everybody. I think in my, in my closing, as I've heard this conversation, I think I approach this conversation thinking about this moment that pharmacy is having. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, there's obviously a lot of stakeholders. I think Taylor touched on that really nicely, just stakeholders and different people around the table that caused all of these changes and these wins that have happened for many of us. But educators were a huge part of that because I, I, you know, I sat around those tables and they, you know, my physician colleagues asked me, are you guys training? Like when we talked about minor ailments, they looked at us and said, are they trained to do this? And if I wasn't able to say yes, I think it would have just stopped the train in its tracks. And so I think there is kind of a win. So for many of you in the room that have been doing this for years, congratulations. And, but I do think at the same time, hearing you and thinking about all the challenges that we face, we need to keep that same spirit of developing and changing, or we can end up on our heels, not reacting well. We need to continue pushing and pulling forward. And there's lots of changes coming, whether it's the system's demands or AI. So in closing, I wanted to close with a joke. So I went back to chat GPT and I said, tell me a joke about pharmacy educators at a conference. And they said, why did the pharmacy educators at the conference always have a full prescription pad?
because they were always prescribing laughter with their hilarious medication-related jokes. So as you can tell, AI will not be replacing comedians or podcast hosts anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> so with that, I, I want a, a big round of applause for our, our amazing panel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I want to thank AFPC for letting us do this. Uh, a big, big ups and shout out to Kate Richards and Steve Southon, our co-producers of this. And thank you everyone for being a part of this experiment. I think it's uh, been a great success. So thank you very much and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you.